Hi everyone, this is Brandon with a quick note before the podcast. We at Glass Tire are hard at work to bring you the latest news about all that's happening in the art world during this trying time. On our website, you can see dispatches from artists, news about grants and relief for individuals and organizations, walkthroughs and video tours of Texas art exhibitions, and so much more. If you like what we do and you think that our work is important, please consider donating to Glass Tire. We are a nonprofit, and all of our funds go directly back into our work. You can make a one-time gift or even become a recurring donor, helping fund our coverage every month. For more information, visit glasstire.com donate. Thank you, and here's today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt, uh, where we here at Glass Tire cover topical art topics. And yes, that is a an intentional repeat in the phrase. My name is Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zek. And this week, we do this every two weeks. And of course, um, uh, this is today we are recording on April 10th, 2020. Uh, we're in the midst of the sheltering in place orders and the, the entire sort of COVID-19 pandemic uh, situation. So every two weeks, things tend to have shifted quite a bit. Things happen very quickly uh, during this time, as we're finding out. Um, it seems like, oh, God, a lifetime ago that museums started to close. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is what what is the future of art? What What is the future of the art world? What's art going to look like when all of this calms down and there's a vaccine and herd immunity and people start to kind of assemble again? What kind of effects uh, is this is the situation having on art and artists? And what what are we instituting these days that might linger, that might become kind of what we adopt or co-opt for things going forward? Yeah, and you know, one of the things is also we there is so much happening right now um, in terms of news and emergency grants, and we're we're not deliberately kind of shirking talking about all those, but just our past two podcasts have kind of covered how institutions are faring and how galleries are faring and how we think individuals are going to move through this, and um, just kind of before we dive into what we kind of think the future might hold. If you need any help, or if you're curious about grants for organizations or help for individual artists, we're continuously publishing all of that information on our website. Uh, You can go to our classifieds page, and there's a crisis resource tab where you can kind of find a lot of stuff in one place. You can look at our news reporting. Uh, Our intrepid news editor has been trying to suss out everything that's happening and provide it to you in this condensed package. So all of that is still happening. We're paying attention to all this. And I just kind of feel like we need to give a little bit of that disclaimer because I I know a lot of you out there might be looking for that sort of resource. So check the site if you haven't already. Certainly, uh, Glass Tire has pivoted very quickly to deal with and help with the situation as much as we possibly can. Um, Our five-minute tours being a good example of that, all of the exhibitions and all of the uh, institutions and artist-run spaces, museums, galleries, uh, that have wanted to show us the art that people cannot see in person, they've been sending us these video tours of, of their current exhibitions. We're putting them up. Um, we're probably getting near to a hundred by now. Um, and they're good. They're interesting. And they're, I gotta say, in terms of the conversation we're about to have, 
they're not a substitute for going out and seeing art in person. Not really, but mm-hmm. they're the, they're what we can do right now. And they do, I think help those of us who love looking at art and love these galleries and love these institutions and love what they do. It kind of helps keep us in touch with them and keeps us feeling connected to the art and the artists and the people who run these spaces often, you know, running a space is a labor of love at almost no matter whatever monetary level they operate. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I think one of the ways we could kick this off, there's a couple of things we did, uh, our top five this week that, uh, has just been published on Thursday. We used our five minute tours in order to do our regular top five. In other words, what, when we normally go out and just see a lot of art, which of course, Glass Tire's tagline is go see some art. In other words, go out into the world and experience art. We're having to do this from our homes, through our screens, through these tours. It's very difficult to judge how, you know, how impactful or how good or how engaging art is through a video tour, but we're doing the best that we can. There was a comment underneath it uh, that came in from um, John Ewing, and I think some of us know John Ewing, and he wrote just kind of a rhetorical question about, you know, will art criticism end up being something that has to work this way too, you know, where we have to judge and criticize and start conversations and dialogue about physical art uh, via screens and uh, virtual tours and such. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was thinking about, I mean, for me personally, as much of a, almost a pathological introvert as I am and where I have these kind of bursts of energy of going out to see art, there's also a lot of times when I'm, when I'm hunkering down, even without a pandemic, but I miss going to see art so badly right now. I mean, it's painful. It's painful. And I'm right around the museums in Fort Worth during this time. I'm in fact, just a few blocks from the Eamon Carter, the Fort Worth Modern, um, the the Kimball. I can't go in to see them. They're shuttered. You know, their grounds are completely, uh, you know, desolate in terms of people. And I know that there's all this wonderful art inside that I can't access, that none of us can access. And I watch these tours, you know, you and I and, and, uh, and Jennifer Battaglia, we're the ones who are editing these tours and putting them up on the site. And it's almost for me, it's certainly kind of psychically painful to not get mm-hmm. to go see these shows. Well, you know, there's a there's kind of a future aspect of this too in that Christina, we've talked about the ritualistic aspect of like visiting your favorite museum and being able to go back and see the piece like one of your favorite pieces in a museum, like in a museum permanent collection. You know where the piece is. It's like visiting an old friend. Absolutely. There's this really familiar element. And I mean, I have pieces like that in the Menil. I have those in the MFAH in Houston. Basically every, and I mean, ever since I've started with Glass Tire, I have that all across the state uh, at this point. Because, you know, there's some museums that I only get to like once a year. And it's always kind of like a deliberate visit and a deliberate piece or two that I have to make sure and stop by. Um, and I was I was reading an article by Peter Sheldahl, the art critic at the New Yorker uh, in the most recent issue of the New Yorker that just came out. And he's kind of talking about this experience um, of seeing art and seeing pieces that you're familiar with and having these permanent collection engagements. And he's using Las Meninas, uh, the Velasquez painting Mm -hmm. and the the Prado Mm -hmm. as an example. And in it, he's talking about how our engagement with kind of these 
I, I don't want to call them boring, but you know, like the boring permanent collection stuff that a lot of people, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too, sometimes just walk by and don't acknowledge how mm-hmm. after this whole kind of deal, our engagement with even the things that we thought we knew or the things that we're familiar with or the things that we never paid attention to um, is just going to be completely different. I know like I'm kind of aching for the time that I'm going to be able to go to the MFAH and walk around the, the 16th century painting wing. And I mean, you know, I walk through that wing. I like looking at the works, but it'll be a whole new kind of experience being able to actually, well, have it again. Right. Well, and and what you're talking about is this larger um, kind of psychological mental health well-being picture, which is that as we've all had to had to stay home, I, I think we're all thinking about the things that we will no longer take for granted uh, when all this is over, including uh, going out and seeing people and seeing art. And, um, you know, we, we can't take these things for granted anymore. I don't know. And I don't know how long that will last. How long kind of the spirit of really being grateful for what we have and being able mm-hmm. to go see a permanent collection at the DMA, for instance, um, how important that is and how good that is for the soul, you know, so to speak. Well, you know, a contributing factor to this is the, the idea that, I, and I've been saying this in like every Zoom meeting that I've had with anyone so forgive me if you've heard it from me, Christina, but the the whole idea is that there's a difference between choosing to stay home and do nothing or choosing to not go out and not being able to go out or Absolutely. having nowhere to go. Like that's, Absolutely. it's a drastically different psychological experience. It's a drastically different choice and bodily experience. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, something being imposed on you versus free will in a way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and Neil and I touched on that in the last conversation, the email conversation that we published a couple of weeks ago about what are we doing when we're staying in and how different it is, even for those of us who are introverted or live by ourselves by choice to not get to go out and see things. And I, you know, and I, I think I definitely have taken for granted the fact that one of you know, the boosts in my own mental health week after week, year after year has been that I go see art, for work. And I almost don't even realize how good for me it is. And until it's taken away from me. But you know, with all of that, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of speculation about what the art world is going to look like and what art is going to look like after this, uh, in terms of the fact that so many of us are having to experience it just through screens, through smartphone screens and laptop screens. And, and of course there's always, there is digital art. There's work that's made specifically for the internet and, you know, specifically for screens. And that's been going on for a long time. And a lot of that work is very good. The current, uh, you know, virtual tours that we're doing, the, um, five minute tours, when John Ewing asked that question, he, he was asking about, you know, could we do valid criticism about work in a gallery like this without seeing it? And my answer to the, the question right this second is that all of the five-minute tours that we've run are, are shows that, you know, artists made this work for people to go see in person. And so I would say, no, not for this round of art, because it wasn't meant to be experienced on a screen. It was meant to be experienced you know, bodily and artwork. Absolutely. I was thinking about the SAMA show, the San Antonio Museum of Art show about the Texas women abstract artists um, mm-hmm. that Suzanne Weaver has done. And, and you saw it and I saw it, we saw it together with her. And I mean, there's no doubt that there's so much presence in those works. I mean, they're practically, 
they have personality, they radiate energy. And, you know, seeing it through a screen is one thing, but being in the room with some of those works is like being in the room with very, very strong personalities. And that's what artists do. They communicate through their art. And that's what art is. It's communication. And one thing that we're not going to change with this pandemic, one thing that we can't change with uh, a disruption in the way we live our lives is the fact that humans are social creatures mm -hmm. and we're communicators and we want to congregate. We want to be together. We want to assemble. There's also the idea that the right to assemble is a political act. And that's even to some degree, that's true of just going out to a gallery opening to a reception to see a friend's work or to see a, you know, a new body of work by somebody you've never heard of before is you're making you're making a statement with what you do with your body by getting into a car and going to Lawndale to see a show mm -hmm. and how cr crucial it is to the human experience to get to do that. You know, um, not to kind of throw things way off into a kind of a, a political argument, but, you know, autocratic leaders will use something like this, a pandemic, a way of, of quashing human assembly to grab more power for themselves and artists are not going to stop making art and they're not going to stop making art for audiences. They're not going to stop making objects that people need to see in person. Yes, there will be more digital art. Certainly there will be more digital art coming out of this, but that doesn't mean that there are, won't be a tremendous amount of artwork that's still being made. That's meant to be uh, experienced in person. Totally. And you know, just the physical, like, the act of having bodies in a room, someone uh, asked me if I kind of thought that this would make, you know, digital like openings or how like a digital opening or, you know, a big, basically like a big chat room where a bunch of people get together as if it's an opening, if, if that would be something that would like continue or actually be effective or if, how it could work. And my kind of gut response, as much as I am enjoying you know seeing people's faces maybe more frequently now than i have in the past because we're actually we're not taking for granted the strangers that we normally interact with so mm -hmm. which means that we're actually seeing our friends and our family possibly more now because we're video chatting with them rather than just phone calling or rather uh, or doing it more frequently but my response to you know kind of big virtual gatherings of people and this this doesn't count to like the you know the happy hour that you have with two friends on zoom or that the mm -hmm. the dinner the virtual dinner party with two other couples or whatever but a big screen full of people and i'm talking like a big like screen full of like a hundred people it's never gonna not feel like a webinar right it, oh it's, my god it's never gonna it's never gonna have that same idea of actually just like interacting with people like it, it's never actually gonna fill that role like while while these zoom conversations I could see like kind of the more personalized version of this uh, becoming more of a thing especially now as you know people who may not have warmed up to the te technology are able to do so or people are figuring out like how workarounds or even just people are having face-to-face -face zoom meetings instead of phone calls now I know that's been uh, that's been a few things that I've done actually it's it's just I I've been able to, or I, I've wanted to have meetings that way just so that I could see someone rather than have a phone call, how the meeting would normally be held. Right. But it's, 
it's never going to not be a webinar. It's degraded. When you get more than uh, yeah. four people in that room. Well, I mean, this all comes comes around to the much, much bigger conversation about what the digital world has done to us. And, and for those of us who have lived our ad- adult lives, really Gen X and older, whose, whose lives have straddled the analog world and the digital world, I mean, you hear people my age and older a lot being very nostalgic about times when before, you know, the digital revolution sort of degraded our social lives and, and our physical world and a sense of discovery and a sense of going out and being around people. But again, you know, that's all just speaking to the larger actual uh, human question about the fact that we want to be together. We want to be in the same rooms. We want to be in the same places and being around humans. I mean, there are so many studies that being, having a strong social network and being with people is good for you. It brings down your blood pressure. It reduces inflammation. You, You know, people who are very isolated, their mortality rate is much higher. Their depression rate is much higher. Mm -hmm. We want to be around people. Um, and doing it through a screen is just a, it's just a very reduced version of it. It's not going to have nearly the benefits psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically, that being in the same room as another human being can have. And I can't stress that enough. And I do feel like, you know, when an artist makes an artwork, they're just, they're starting a conversation and it's an object. It's a thing that hangs on a wall or sits on a plinth. Or even plays on a screen. But it's the same thing as filmmakers. It's the same thing as... It's another conversation that Neil Farso and I had in an art dirt a couple of months back about how important it is to go see movies on a big screen in a theater with an audience. That's how it's meant to be experienced. And it is a completely different experience when you do it that way. It has a different impact on your body and on your brain. And while, I mean, so there are some artists who make things for screens that are some of my favorite artists. I mean, you, you've heard me talk about Ed Atkins a million times. I can watch his videos all day and I can watch them from home, but I'd still rather see an Ed Atkins video at a museum on a big screen with the proper sound system, sitting on a bench in a dark room with other people who are also watching the same thing. Again, that's really how it's meant to be seen. And it's much better that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's the balance of like, I love being able to watch artists videos online now, like some artists who are kind of putting more online or artists who have had their work online, but it's, you know, I I mean, it's hard to know who has what out there. Right. Um, So people are actually taking initiative to go to people's websites now, but I mean, there's a, it's kind of like a, a, a bittersweetness to me. Like I love having the access, but at the same time, the ability to pause it and to step away and grab a snack or to step away and go to the bathroom and then come back to it and play it. Like it's great for accessibility and it's wonderful that artwork can be consumed like that. At the same time, there's a, I mean, this might be Christina outing us as like art purists, which, (laughs) you know, is, is a really kind of (laughs) privileged and, and elite thing, but like being able to see it, like how it's meant, to be seen essentially or being able to see it without any distractions like is is an experience unto itself like you're getting the same object but you're getting a different experience right and it and it's also just a tremendous respect for what the artists themselves are intending i mean what we are trying to do is experience the art the way the artist has intended for it to be experienced and i think that that's fair and i think that that's 
it's something that I think people are, are uh, increasingly losing touch with as this kind of digital revolution continues to infiltrate our lives. There are whole generations, obviously now, of people, Gen, Gen Z especially, for whom, you know, the idea of doing everything through a screen and being able to be to multitask as it were and to not pay too much attention or too much undivided uh, and consistent attention to any one thing is kind of how they live their lives and again you kind of go back to generation x and older where people are like yeah but was that is that better that can't possibly be better because you're there's a, a sense of there's a profound sense of satisfaction that comes with engaging with something in a complete and sustained way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think when we're talking about art going forward and what artists are going to want to do and how many artists there are and whether or not they even believe that they can make a living doing this anymore. You know, one thing that's definitely happening to the economy is it's completely tanking. The bottom dropped out from under it. And the question of money and where the money goes and which artists can make a living and which can't and how they're going to gear their art toward that is kind of, that's all kind of a whole new bundle to, uh, to, to untangle. Do you think this is going to kind of promote a more like crowdsourced funded uh, way of artists working? Like, I feel like, uh, of course, there's been an increase in GoFundMes for organizations and individuals and certain opportunities. But I mean, the the chance of like artists setting up Patreons now for access to exclusive content and the idea that you might not be able to afford a $2,000 artwork, but you can you can uh, get by with $5 a month. I mean, it's the whole kind of problem around that is that is a real thing. And yes, you can't afford $5 a month until you have a hundred artists whose content you want access to. And then you can't afford $500 a month. And it's, it turns into the same issue in a way. Well, sure. Sure. I mean, and the, all these models will continue to grow and thrive and evolve as we go on. Uh, it's very splintering. I mean, there's an overwhelming amount of content out there already. And that's been true for a long time. And really for the past, you know, four or five years, it's become almost impossible to keep up with everything that's out there and to be able to locate the thing that's going to speak to you the most. I think that, um, I think that fewer people will be drawn to going to art school and trying to be an artist because I think a lot of the glam, the glamour and the kind of the money carnival associated with it is going to be sucked out of the room. I think that things will, um, I think that the the upper, upper, upper echelons of collecting and philanthropy will continue. I think that the whole middle ground is going to be almost erased. And I think that the only people who are going to be making art are people who really, really are artists and really want to make art. And they'll have to do it without... Um, thinking that they're going to make a living off of it. I don't even know that adjunct teaching jobs are going to exist very much for the next five years. I mean, artists who are good artists who have been able to cobble together a living on their work are not going to be able to do that. So if they're going to make work, they're going to have to make work because they just love making work. And how they manage to get it out there in front of people, I think, is is a big question. I think there will be smaller gatherings. I think there will be smaller ways to assemble, more kind of neighborhood-based, more local. Well, in the whole adjunct market that you're talking about, like, in addition to, like, a major contributing factor being that schools have kind of cut out full-time art faculty, yeah. another another major factor, though, is the the whole idea that 
art schools have kind of ballooned in terms of attendance. So yeah, if attendance well, goes this down, this is going to take the this is going to take that out. I don't think that art schools will balloon from this point going forward, at least for the next ten years. I think it's going to change that landscape tremendously because there's just not going to be any money. I mean, the unemployment rate at this point is already, it's absolutely staggering. It's going to take a long time to get back from, to come back from this recession and the arts are going to be hit so hard. I do think obviously the mega galleries are going to be fine. They have so much money. It's, it's, it's insane. I think mid tier and smaller and new galleries, a lot of them will disappear what will not disappear is people's impulse to make art. And what will not disappear is people's desire to see it. So there will be new galleries. There will be new artist collectives. There will mm -hmm. be new artist-run spaces. It's going to take a while. A lot of this stuff is going to be very grassroots. Do you um, think this is going to kind of be that we'll see a little bit of a, I don't know, reverting to like a 70s, 80s sensibility? Oh, we can only hope. <laughs> especially if the, yeah. I mean, especially if, if things like, the, the housing market and the retail market, like if, if those also falter, what really allowed for kind of DIY innovation and in artist run spaces and in showing art was an abundance of space and a lack of rules. And uh, uh, what am I trying to say? An abundance of housing and an abundance yeah, well, of, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of commercial space. space in which to do yeah. this and also studio space you know i think there's two things about this number one is there's a there's a real nostalgia for that those earlier times for what the 70s and 80s were like uh and the diy thing and the fact that money had not come in and distorted everything so much yet at that point and uh there's a you know most jerry salts is most i think second most recent um column was kind of about like what is will it return to the way things were um and of course even i think some very young people who do these deep dives into the internet to find out what things used to be like they may like to see things return to that as well even though they haven't experienced it the huge question marks here and for either one of us trying to make predictions i mean i've got to say i'm not particularly good at predicting things but i think that um i think that artists uh have a tendency to want to congregate in big cities they tend to go leave rural places and conservative places and go to big cities and i do not know what pandemics and the future of pandemics will do to places like new york city i don't know if new york is suddenly going to become more affordable again and so young people will move there again and there will be affordable space or if people will actually because it's viruses that we're so frightened of if they will actually stay away from places where there's a lot of density i don't know the answer to that um new york hasn't been new york as far as i'm concerned for a very long time although new york is still a great city uh, but it's not what it was in the 70s and 80s and it doesn't mm -hmm. turn out necessarily the same kind of art that it used to i don't know what cities are going to end up being the places where artists want to live and work um do you think this is going to cause kind of an increase in the push from inner cities like an increase in push to the suburbs that's something we've been seeing like over the past i don't know like five years kind of even even in texas as inner cities get a little more expensive and become more gentrified artists have been moving like in houston outside of the sixton loop and some even outside of houston's larger loops well i mean if this turns into a great depression 
and the city centers kind of clear out the way they did once upon a time, it could be that everything sort of starts over. And contracts. And places like New York or maybe places like um, Detroit or Chicago, that there are actually city centers that suddenly become uh, a bit desolate and very, very cheap. And artists will go there. They will use those big, interesting spaces, the, 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 you know, if they're affordable. You know, I don't know that that will happen. I think that Texas has always, as we've talked about many, many times, Texas is its own interesting case. It's sort of, it's it's kind of on the map of the larger international art world, and yet it's also its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how artists live and operate here and the artists who choose to live and work in Texas usually have their reasons for doing it. And are kind of maverick, basically, but they're also survivors. So I don't know that the patterns of how artists, uh, where they're living and how they're living in Texas will change too much. I do think that uh, making a living will become, uh, I I think that a lot of artists are going to have jobs that are quite a grind and that they'll have to make art in between you know they're gonna have to find their their time and their space to make their work in a way that's a bit more of a struggle than it was before again i think that the kind of i think that the kids who are in high school and college right now who kind of want to go to art school and they want to be art stars and they want to show how is their worth i mean i think a lot of that stuff is just going to be erased i think it's being erased right this second Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting. I do think that the nature of the art itself will probably change as well. I don't know how to predict what that will be. Uh, and I don't know if that will go back to art being maybe less about activism or if it will be more about activism. I don't know if it will be more or less politicized. I'm curious about that. I'm curious to see what's going to happen to our big cities here in um, here in Texas and what's going to happen to their economies. Of course, our economy in Texas is pretty tied into energy and oil, mm-hmm. and we're watching oil prices ugh, do some crazy things right now. Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of art being more or less politicized, I mean, I feel like so often artists are kind of on the cusp of culture, and at least right now the cusp of culture is kind of a I mean, I'm going to say this and I I think you'll, you'll know what I mean by it, but but it's kind of a decreased uh, politicization. Like it's, it's decreased in a very specific way though. Like in the terms of pre-coronavirus, it was very much anti-administration and kind of dealing with the immediacy of politics. Whereas now it's dealing more with I would say maybe more of the issues, like the culture is dealing more with the issues of what's going on and a little less kind of the direct uh, cause of issues. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, I think what will happen is I I think there's been a, I use the word splintering a lot. There's been a real splintering of the way people have identified what their politics are and what they want to address. I think the sort of autocratic power grab that's happening in the White House right now is so frightening. I think if Trump stays in the White House and I think if he's reelected, I think so. there's no way that art is not going to be political. It will be very political and all art is political anyway. Almost everything that comes out of our mouths is political at any given time. But um, I think there will be, I think, an anti-capitalist uh, sort of anti-Trump thing will become the most urgent feeling politics out there. And I think artists will reflect that. Um, 
because I think our world is going to sort of, I think our sense of democracy and what the United States is and what it has stood for is it's collapsing as we speak. It has been collapsing ever since he was elected, but it's collapsing again in yet a new and horrible way with this pandemic and with the economic collapse and with joblessness. So I do think that I think there will be more art about about power and about money and about it'll almost be in that regard and I've got to say so much of the great art that was happening in the 70s and 80s was political in its own way of course Mm -hmm. as well but I think we might see a return to some of that kind of it'll be less splintered and there will be almost more of a unification in a sense of what artists are trying to to grapple with the way what we're, what we're all trying to grapple with because there's going to be a tremendous struggle for really 99% of our population yeah. um, just to just to pay bills and stay alive and eat and you know get to work every day if we have a job mm-hmm. So I think I think you know going forward we do, again we don't we don't know what's going to happen. I would have never predicted that Donald Trump was going to be elected president. I mean my god, so you know saying that what we think art is going to do or be is maybe <laughs> it's maybe maybe um you know some of it's wishful thinking, some of it is fear. I think this conversation is rooted in you know the kinds of stuff that we are that keeps us up at night, you know. Certainly I'm laying in bed at night and I'm th- wondering Oh God, what is, what in the world are things going to look like in six months? What's it going to look like a year from now? I Mm -hmm. have no idea. You have no idea. What I do know is that deep in my bones, I miss going to see art. I miss, I miss it. I miss going to movies. I miss going to galleries. I miss going to museums. I walk past the Kemble and the Amon Carter and the Fort Worth Modern, and I long to be inside and to see the work that's in there. You know, I haven't even seen Mark Bradford's in papers. I didn't get to see the show. Um, <laughs> and it's just right there. I can practically throw a rock and hit the Modern right now, and I can't go see it. But you know what? These five-minute tours, <laughs> keep them coming in because it feels really good to edit these videos and to get them up on the site. It's something. It's something. Yeah, it is. And I mean... If it's the best that we can do right now, then I'm I'm all for it. We just have to keep doing the best that we can do. That's what all of us are doing. Mm-hmm. And I and I do feel like the, I do feel like people who maybe haven't even thought too long and hard about this before. And I'm not talking about artists because I think that they think long and hard about pretty much everything. But I think a lot of people who haven't thought too long and hard about this before are now really considering how they want to spend their time when they finally get to get their lives back. Um, Their time and the way they, and where they put their bodies at any given point in the day. I think people are going to be, more thoughtful about that. I like that. I like thinking that going forward, there's going to be, um, people are going to be a little bit more, I mean, I don't want to use a lot of new age terms cause I'm not new agey, but I think people are going to be more present for a while because I think we all are realizing just how badly we're missing certain parts of being human. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing has kind of been, uh, again, like, it's it's kind of been like a consciousness raising exercise in a really weird yeah, way. Yeah, there you go. Like where yes, it's yes. it's made everybody conscious of everything that they do, of everything they touch, of every one yes. they touch, of every yes. of every time they have to go out, of everything that they eat, of everything they consume, like in all facets of the word. Like it's 
it's interesting to have an entire world or more or less an entire world having the same experience. Right. It's the first time that this has happened in this way, I would argue, since World War II, which you yeah. and I did not experience. And a lot, most people on this planet did not experience. And certainly there are plenty of people who are still alive who did. But yeah, this is a first. This is a big first for many, 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 many of us. And you know what? Um, World War II, as absolutely horrific as it was, a lot of very interesting and good things came out of it in the aftermath because I think people became much more aware of the value of time and um, assembly and um, and just how you, what you want to do with your life. It just kind of reprioritizes everything. And I I think that in that way, there could be a silver lining. I I don't know. Are we uh, en route to a new abstract expressionist movement? Well, you know, we're en route to something. There will be some movements. I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know what they're going to look like. Could could this be the factor? You know, no one knows what to call what's happening right now other than contemporary art because, of course, movements are defined much, much later and after later. the fact. This this could be the, the marker of a new movement. Yeah. Oh, I think there will be. I think there will be new movements for sure. There will be. And I don't know how global it'll be. And that'll be an interesting thing is it won't just be Western, you know, abstract expressionism. It'll be it'll be global because now we all do have the Internet and we do have ways of keeping in touch with what's happening in other parts of the world. And um, I'll be I'll be I'll be very, very, very curious to see what sort of art comes out of this. Yeah, me too. Obviously, obviously you and I are going to be real curious. Um, (laughs) With that, um, normally we would say go see some art, but um, do your best of uh, supporting your favorite artists uh, via the internet as you can and keep looking at art and keep thinking about how you want to spend your time when all of this is over and how many shows you're going to get to go see uh, given we don't know what spaces will remain open. Um, but that's it. Take care of yourselves and stay healthy and happy as, as you can. And wash your hands and see some art. See some art. <laughs>